Good morning. Welcome to Fred Buzz the Podcast. My name is Joe McMurray. And I'm Aaron Sefchik. And today we're going to continue our conversation that we started a couple weeks ago discussing the recording studio and everything there is to do with recording. And hopefully we'll we'll touch on some production this week. Um, we have a special guest. Mr. Tynes Hampton is here from District Entertainment Studios, which is in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, welcome, Tynes. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're really excited to have you. Yeah, absolutely. So Tynes and I um, have a history <laughs> together. Tynes is, um, he owns and runs the studio where I did um, really my first, some of, most of my first recording when I was playing in my band, Albino Rhino. Um, we were doing this recording through a local record label and the record label paid for us to record with Tynes. And so I got to go in there and really spent the bulk of that first period just just recording with one of your engineers. Yeah. And later on, we started, I think it was because the second, our EP, I was mixing a lot with you. I wanted to watch how you did it. Yeah. And I basically sat every minute of you mixing that album <laughs> and learned a lot from you. And then you started bringing me in to run some sessions. Oh, yeah. I miss you. <laughs> I wish I could do that more. Yeah, man. It was really, really fun. I learned so much from you. So, yeah. So, uh, do you want to tell anybody, uh, everybody about your uh, your studio? Absolutely, man. Um, you know, we we I started off working with a acoustic rock band. Actually, um, I was managing the band, and you know, we. You know, we did the rounds to the different studios and things like that, um, you know, and what we ended up settling on was, OK, let's just, you know, build a small setup in the basement and let's see how that works out for us just to record there. Um, you know, the pricing for recording, you know, to be able to kind of sit and do some creation can get pretty expensive. So, you know, as a group, we just decided, OK, we're just going to build out my basement and, you know, record there. And that way we can get everything perfect before we go to the studio. Um, the plan was to go to a, you know, very professional recording studio here in Falls Church. Um, you know, very nice Michael Jackson and prints on the wall. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, you know, so we were excited to go there and, um, you know, the, what ended up happening was is what we recorded in the basement, we ended up liking actually better than what we did there. Um, which was yeah. unfortunate because, you know, the band and including myself, you know, we, we invested a lot in being able to go there and record. And, uh, you know, it, it was a situation where, you know, we just were kind of disappointed, you know, is the best way to put it. Um, it was just a situation where, you know, I didn't feel like, you know, maybe we just didn't have enough of a budget. You know, we, we spent tons and tons of hours there, but maybe our budget just wasn't large enough to get the, the, the A treatment. Yeah. So, you know, we uh, were pretty much happier with what we did in the basement than we were with what we did when we went there into the studio mm -hmm. and half of, you know, to be fair, half of that was performance and half of that was, you know, just the quality of recording, but definitely half of it was performance. You know, I think, you know, we were just more comfortable and more relaxed, you know, working at home at that time. And, you know, what that led to was, you know, me working with the band, more recording at home. Um, then we went back for mixing and mastering and, you know, we did, you know, a first round of mixing and mastering quick mixes, quick masters at home, just so we could say, okay, this is kind of what we have in mind. And we went in there and we spent probably 120 hours 
uh, on mixing and mastering. And it came out where we like better what we did at home. <laughs> right. And, you know, it was very unfortunate because, you know, it wasn't a situation where we were even looking to compete. Um, it was just a situation where we were more so just looking for better quality than what we were getting at home. And, you know, again, same thing. You know, it, it came back where we just liked better what we did at home. Um, so that gave me two things. It gave me the confidence to know that I actually could do, you know, quality recordings, you know, number mm -hmm. one. But number two, it gave me, you know, a little bit of inspiration and, okay, maybe I can try this mixing and mastering thing and see how it works out. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where District Entertainment Studios was born. Unfortunately, after that situation, we blew our whole budget, you know, recording and mixing and mastering there in the studio. And, you know, the band just disseminated um, between that and politics. You know, yeah. like the, the, <laughs> the worst thing for a band to discuss is politics. Just don't even talk about it. And, you know, just one night, one random night, they were practicing and I had to go somewhere with my wife. And I told them they were talking politics. And I said, you guys stop talking politics. Yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the music, man. Just stop talking mm -hmm. about it. Right. And even if it does, then, you know, just let the creator create. But don't you guys don't, you know, dive into it too much. So, you know, yeah. OK, times. No problem. I left and I got a call about an hour later. Lead singer, the band's bawling, crying. And he, the band's broken up times. I was like, oh man, I yeah. knew I shouldn't have left. I knew I shouldn't have left. But, you know, things happen for a reason. Hmm. And uh, that's kind of what led us to being able to, you know, pick up and record and everything and, you know, start. You know, we opened the studio in Alexandria back in 2004 mm -hmm. and we're actually still there. So, you know, things happen for a reason, like I said. And, you know, that's kind of the reason why. You know, uh, I guess that happened to us. It allowed me to be able to learn what I needed to learn to record, mix, and master. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're uh, we're excited to to have have oh, yeah. your Let's knowledge combined with Aaron's <laughs> knowledge, and yeah, yeah. We uh, we really talked a lot last time about um, microphones and um, some about audio interfaces and oh yeah, the actual process of recording and kind of preparation for recording, you know, as the artist preparation Absolutely. going into the studio. Um, yeah. Getting but, it right. Getting it right at the source, man. It's all about yeah. getting it right at the source. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's this thing that people like to refer to <laughs> studio magic and, um, <laughs> you know, you do need to get it right at the source, but there are some incredible things that can be done on the computer. Um, I mean, we should should talk about those things so that if you if our <laughs> listeners, if artists understand the limitations and the capabilities on the computer side, then they um, they'll be able to prepare better. And, you know, they won't leave a take that's mediocre thinking that it can be fixed in the studio when maybe it, it can't. Exactly. Exactly. On the computer. Yeah. Um, Joe, so, you know, what happens a lot of times, man, is, is people think that, you know, uh, the, the title of mixing and mastering, oh, we'll get it in the mix. So oh, we'll mm -hmm. get it in the mix. You hear it said a lot of times in the studio. Um, and what I've come to learn is, is that getting it in the mix actually takes a lot more time than just doing it over one time. Yeah, absolutely. you know, and, and the thing is, is just like what you just said is absolutely correct. The source, if you can get your recordings, well, before that, even performance you know mm -hmm. like um a lot of times you know people will stay up until four or five o'clock in the morning and then come in in the morning for a session and they're tired their brain's tired 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and it just things don't go the way that they were anticipating or hoping that they would go. And a lot of times the reason is, is just that you're tired, you know, yeah. and, and you have to get rest before your sessions. If you're a singer, uh, you know, musician, you know, especially drummer, you got to have that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just getting some rest. If it's a night session, try not to work too hard during the day, you know, get some rest, you know, and these are, those are the little things that I've learned, you know, even before you start talking equipment, you know, if you can just get some rest and get your energy together and get yourself in a mental state where you feel creative, where you, where you're excited to make music, um, you're going to get a better performance. You're going to get, you know, a lot more out of your process. And even before that guy goes into mixing and mastering, you already have beautiful, wonderful takes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even uh, even the takes that aren't keepers should be good enough to be keepers. You know, we just want to get it a little bit better if we can. Yeah. 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 There's a lot to be said for that. You yeah, definitely want to be able to go into the studio well rested. Uh, you you don't want to be sick. <laughs> yeah, no. you don't want to be feeling down or yeah. uh, you know emotionally in some kind of some kind. Of, I sometimes it's good to be emotionally in some kind of space because um, mm-hmm. that might add to the creative process. Um, but you definitely want to be well rested. Otherwise, you're you're just hitting a wall, man. It's you're you're digging your own grave. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and I've had singers come in, you know, right after work and, you know, we get through three or four takes and they're already scratchy. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I ask them, what have you been doing today? Oh, well, I was on the phone most of the day at work and, you know, and talking and then I had a presentation to do. It's like, no, <laughs> like, you know, that's an instrument. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. this is just like any other instrument. And if you wear it down, it's not going to sound as good as it would if you, if it was fresh. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, so I, I've gotten that a lot of times, you know, what I do usually, Joe, is I send them home, um, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as an engineer, you know, you can't always, you know, you definitely can't always be about finances. And, you know, I would love to sit there with them and, and have them banging against the wall for five hours, but it's not making the most out of the time that they're paying you for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what happens is, is that, you know, when people are paying you for a service, if they're not getting out of that service, what mm-hmm. they want it to get out of that service, then they're not going to continue to come to you. So, yeah. you know, sometimes giving them, hey, we're going to stop at two hours today. I know you have five hours, but you sound terrible. Yeah. And you yeah. have to be honest and straightforward and, you know, because you hear it and they don't. So, yeah. you know, they'll just continue on Yeah, the full five hours. They'll just keep going, keep going because they enjoy being in the studio. But to you, it's a business. And, you know, even though it's creative and it's fun and it's exciting, you're not going to be able to be in business if you don't have the customers or the clientele to keep you in business. No, ultimately it comes back to you in the end. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And they're going to blame you. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to blame you. So if they stay there five hours and they've spent, you know, $200, $250 on studio Mm -hmm. time and they stay there five, six hours and don't get anything done. When they go and talk to people about what they did in the studio, it's not going to be, oh, well, I was tired that day. And, you know, they're not going to accept the responsibility. Oh, it just doesn't sound good is right. what they're going to say. Yep. So. Yeah. And yeah. They may never finish the project and if they blow that much. Exactly. And what's going to happen is they're going to go to another studio and do the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> the exact same thing. So, you know, it's, it's not going to change a bit. The sound's not going to change a bit. And they're just going to bounce around and bounce around and bounce around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I've learned is, is sometimes, you know, uh, not getting paid for that three hours will earn you 30 hours later on. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometimes taking a step back might earn you four or five steps forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Yeah. It's good. good business, business want, yeah. Ultimately, you want the product to be good on the on the back end because then your customer is going to be able to go to all his friends and be able to say, look what I recorded, man. This sounds yeah. awesome. You got to check out the studio. They did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a reflection on you. And that's extremely important. You got to have that long vision. You really do. Yeah. And, and, and like, and, like you said, go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. I was going to say, and if you feel like the, if you experience something like that, you really gain a trust in your engineer that they're not trying to rip you off. They, they really have your best interest at heart. And so you, you know, that trust in your engineer goes a long, long way in not only being comfortable working with them, but in investing larger amounts of money in that studio. Absolutely. Yeah, this guy's got my back. I'm I'm willing to put down two thousand dollars to record my album here. Yeah. And I mean the thing is you do want to have their back, you know, because they're what they're paying you for is is your knowledge. Not just, you know, for you to press the button and make their stuff sound pretty. Like they're paying you for your knowledge, uh, your experience. And, you know, through experience, you know, we've all learned, you know, what fatigue does to mm-hmm. creativity. Like, you know, it definitely tears down, you know, the creative the creative gene gets damaged by your fatigue you know if you're tired if you're not you know and some days you just don't have it and you know i I can definitely you know say at least 20 to 25 times in all of my days there's been you know at least 20 or 25 times where i've told somebody you just don't have it today we can Mm -hmm. continue to record if you decide to continue to record or you can listen to me you can go home and you can come back on a day when you do have it Mm -hmm. and you know they'll get offended um that's gonna be the first yeah yeah, they're going to get offended. You know, what's wrong with it? What do you know? What do you mean? And they're going to get offended at first. But, you know, eventually they'll understand that, you know, what you're looking to do is make good quality recordings. That's the first step to everything. Mm-hmm. And if we, you know, if the performance isn't good, I can't make that good. Like, you know, I don't care how good of an engineer you are. You can't make performance <laughs> better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, like, yeah, hey, I know there's some great engineers out there, but. You know, if you go to them and ask them, hey, can you make me sound like Michael Jackson the way I sound now? And they're going to say, no, I can't make you sound like Michael Jackson. Exactly. Performance is everything. So, you know, uh, just just preparation, you know, getting some rest. If you're a singer, having something warm to drink, not drinking a lot of ice and cold water, soda. I mean, you know, things like that. You know, there's a lot of little techniques that go into recording way before you even get to the point where you're recording anything. so that's what I've learned. And that's that's kind of what has helped us, you know, to, you know, in an in a environment where, you know, it's kind of hard for recording studios these days to stay in business because of everything that we have at home nowadays. Mm. Um, you know, that's allowed me to keep some, you know, pretty loyal customers and be able to stay in business all this time. Like I said, we've been there 14 years now. Yeah, yeah that, that's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and the other part of it is, is that I'm kind of thinking about is a lot of these people who do have a home studio um you are stuck kind of inside your head and it's nice to be able to go to a a producer uh, and i kind of want to get into that as well a uh, producer versus engineer um but when you go to a producer that that outside mind that expertise in something or a, a different viewpoint or you know being able to kind of hit something at a different angle that's extremely important because you know having another viewpoint on a phrase or 
you know, some kind of chord progression or having that outside view is extremely beneficial to be able to say, eh, you know what, that may not work or, Hey, how about let's try this? Or, you know, having that extra viewpoint is extremely beneficial where is if you have that in your, you know, where if you're doing it in your own studio, you don't have that. Sometimes right. you can get boxed in. Um, and I, what I hear a lot is, is, you know, after a couple projects, man, it's all starting to sound the same. Well, yeah, because you're stuck in your head, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and, you know, working from home also, what I found is a lot of times, um, uh, just like you said, you get in your own head and you're doing the same thing over and mm. over and mm. over mm. and over. And what happens is, is that, you know, project never gets done. You, you, you can't do a verse and work on that verse for seven, eight, nine hours and then come back tomorrow and work on that same verse for another seven, eight, nine. That project's not going to get finished right. because what's going to happen is, especially if you're making music that has any social consciousness to it at all, time passes. Mm -hmm. And as time passes, things change. So lyrics and vocals that are relevant now may not be relevant six months from now. You got to get your music out now. Oh, yeah. And and that's something that, you know, for me that I push, you know, every artist that I work with. I'm not rushing you through the process, but I do want you to get your music out now because right now it's fresh. It's new and it's new to you. So you're going to be more likely to push it harder. You're going to be more likely to be excited to perform it and do things, you know, with the music than you will be if you've listened to it 15,000 times. And then at that point, it's becoming old, but it's only old to you. Yeah, It's not old to the rest of the world. But, you know, as long as we can get it out to them while it's relevant, then we have an opportunity there. But, you know, once that time passes, you know, all of us, you know, every style of music from rock to pop to hip hop, everything, you know, in, in between, underneath and ahead. There's always going to be a shelf life for when that music needs to be released. Once it's released, the music lives forever. It has no shelf life. But until it is released, it has a shelf life. And, you know, that's something I try to you know explain to people. I know that sometimes you can get away with releasing an older project and things and changing a few words here and there. But I've noticed how people will push the music and work so much harder on the music, uh, you know, getting it into people's hands when it's new. And as time passes and it gets old to you, that excitement just starts to tail off. I think yeah. I think I'm a perfect example of that with my project with albino rhino we recorded that first album and then due to complications with the record label it basically got put on the shelf and in the meantime we recorded a separate ep and then we went through some lineup changes in the band got a new drummer got a keyboard player i went to music school like a couple of years passed there where the music really sat and we were performing a lot of those songs but by the time we actually released that album the our hearts were not in those songs and it it was hard to i had to redo i re-recorded all my vocals yeah i was like i can't stand the sound of my voice from <laughs> a couple years ago yeah i mean it, and that that was not efficient from a money point of view and it was, it was exhausting Another thing that I notice in with uh, artists when they come into a studio is these 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 songs are our babies. 
you know, we look after them sometimes for years and we nurture yeah. them and we, you know, we want them to be absolutely perfect. But yeah. the problem with that is, is that in the studio, at least in my experience, there is no such thing as perfect um, because it's perfection is your own worst enemy in the studio because the longer that you work at something um it drags out for a very long period of time and just like you were saying times that there's a shelf life and you honestly want to get as much material out as possible now yes. um because if you keep on working on that one thing for years and years and years, most likely you're just never going to get it done because you're looking for perfection. And that's just a never ending chase. You're, you're never going to reach perfection. Uh, the only way that you're going to get better at something is if you release a bunch of stuff and it's just like any instrument that you practice, uh, it's going to take years. You can't just say, okay, tomorrow or next week is going to be, you know, I'm going to be the perfect guitar player. It's going to take years and it's going to take many mistakes of, of going through that practice. And eventually you'll kind of get there. Same thing with songwriting. The more stuff you release, sure, your first batch of stuff is going to be, eh, it's going to be mediocre, but you have to go through that process in order to get to the 12th one, where it's just like, ah, now I'm starting to get it. So this process of perfection is, is, is not good for anybody who goes into the studio. Just try your best and know that uh, you did your best and the next one's even going to be better. Absolutely. I have two points on that also. Um, when it comes to artists, what I've noticed is I, I always tell them, hey, you know, work and do the best you can, just like you just said, mm. and put it out. Because what happens is, is as you get better, that's what allows fans to grow with you. And, you know, they hear the improvement in your music. They hear the improvement in your vocal. They hear the imp improvement of, of the sound quality, even because we get better as we go along. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's what actually goes into getting a fan to be a fan. Like they want to see the growth. They want to see, you know, grow with you, you know, and that they're, they are growing with you. But yeah. if they only get to hear you once, then they can't grow with you, you know. <laughs> and that's why I say, you know, do the music, put it out, go on to the next one. But there, there is one more piece to that, though, that I'm starting to, you know, and it took me a while to figure this out. Uh, sometimes I kind of feel like um, some artists are comfortable in the process as opposed to going out and dealing with the rejection and dealing with the, you know, the judgment that we all go through. You know, even as engineers, guitar players, singer, whatever it is, mm. you're going to go through judgment. And a lot of times people are scared of that part of the process, the judgment, the part of the process where somebody's going to tell you, hey, that sucks. I don't like it. Mm. And what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to bounce back from that? Or is that going to be something that totally tears you apart? Mm. And I, I think that part of the process is, you know, the worst part of the process to me because it keeps it limits creativity. Um, a lot of people don't have that, you know, just that drive where nothing's going to stop them. But right. they do have talent. So, you know, it's kind of like because of the fact that they don't have that drive where nothing can possibly stop them, we're going to miss out on hearing all of that great talent. Mm. Um, so, you know, th those are the two things that I would say about, you know, why people hold on to their music, you know. Um, and it's sad because, you know, I'm dealing with an artist right now. She's very talented. We'll do a thousand takes. And, you know, and I'll go in and I'll tell her, I say, hey, I have more than enough to do what I need to do with this. And, oh, I don't know times. It just doesn't sound good to me. And, 
And I just tell her, you know, eventually I just stopped the session. I said, you know, are you really looking to put music out? Or are you looking to stay in here with me where it's nice and comfortable? Right. And, you know, and, and she started crying and I felt bad because <laughs> I didn't mean to make her start crying, but she needed yeah. to deal with that. Yeah. That's something that she needed to hear and needed to know that that's what I was feeling is that she's just comfortable in the studio and didn't really want to leave that process. Yeah. Well, it's hard to put yourself out there, man. It is. It is. It is. And I understand that. But, you know, as an engineer, I think, you know, part of our responsibility is to help artists along. Yes. And that's going to be a part of the process that they're going to have to sooner or later. And, you know, maybe not right now, but sooner or later, you're going to have to go in, out there and deal with that part of the process. There's no way around it. And, you know, and that's the part where I just, you know, it like I said, it kind of sucks sometimes because I really want people to put their music out there. But at the same time, I understand because you don't want once somebody tells you it sucks, it kind of brings down a little bit of your excitement, of course, depending on your personality. Yeah, yeah. that's bound to happen. It is. It's bound to happen. Everybody's not going to like everything. No. Don't worry about it. Just make music. Yeah. And that's, that's what I try to tell them all the time. But, you know, like I said, sometimes it just gets to the point where they're just not going to, they're not going to listen to you, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, Joe, I'd be interested in hearing what you think about that situation, being an artist, <laughs> man. No, I, I mean, I, I think that I record the songs that I've recorded. I think I enjoy the recordings as much more than anybody else i also hate them more than anybody else but mm. i mean it, it's they're time stamps to me and i i nitpick everything about them and it's painful to listen to the things that i i know i could do better now yeah. but i do i really do like listening myself and i have had very very little success actually getting my music out into the world and Part of that's my own fault. I haven't followed through. That's not where my focus in my life has been much more on improving my musical skills. And yeah. I think I've not invested the time and energy into promotion. And like, I, I haven't wanted to put a thousand dollars into a promotional campaign, but I'll put a thousand dollars into, you know, my studies, like getting better at the guitar. Right. The same. But so I, I, I have a different viewpoint on it in that I'm not trying to get, you know, millions of people to listen to my music. I mean, I would love that, but yeah. my recordings have been largely for me, for my friends and family, for my own like use in promote, like getting gigs and things like, Hey, can I play here? Here's a recording of me playing. So yeah. anyway, I, I love going in the studio. I love, I'm actually working on a couple tracks here at the house. And I, I like the process of the creative process of recording to kind of um, bring my ideas to life. And I think the studio is a great way to do that. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I'd like to get more into the actual intricacies of recording and, and mixing, especially. There you go. I mean, I, we talk about all these, like taking lots of takes and I mean, some of the big things that I've learned over my time recording have been, okay, I had this like perfect first verse, at least in my mind then, but the second verse wasn't so good. Well, I go in and record the second verse. It's a different day. My voice has a bit of a different timbre to it. And then I'm like, well, I don't want to re-record the first verse because it's perfect. But then you get to the second verse and it sounds noticeably different. 
And there's some things that you can do with EQ and changing the reverb and effects to try to make it sound more like one take. But, yeah, you know, it doesn't always work. Yeah. But I want to get into those things. I want to I want to start talking about those things, maybe get some people interested in in actually spending more time in the mixing process. Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to things like that, Joe, just like you said, the whole key is EQ. Um, you know, your voice is your voice. No matter if we do it today or do it next year, your voice is actually still going to be your voice. Now, what's, what can be different is the energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally what I'll do in situations like that where, you know, we're doing either a punch in on a piece or we're doing, you know, a different, you know, take, like you said, between verse one and verse two on different days. Um, what I usually do is have you sit there and listen to verse one over and over three, four five times. And then I mm-hmm. say match that. And, you know, and, and the thing is, is a lot of times artists aren't even thinking about their part. They're really just thinking about giving a great performance, which should be, you know, of course, that's number one. But being that we already have something there that we're trying to match to, we have to actually take that time to make sure we are matching to that original take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes in those situations, it is better to try another take on verse one. If you feel like it's just perfect, though, I don't like messing with perfect. You know, once you once you say the word perfect, I like to leave it alone if, if possible. But, you know, sometimes if 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 that second verse comes out, you know, that much better to where you're that much happier with it, mm-hmm. it might be worth it just to go ahead and do a few more takes on that take one and see if we have something that matches better than necessarily having that, you know, take one's wonderful. Take two is just OK, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but like you said, the key to that is EQ. Um, you know, like your engineer has to have the ear to be able to make you sound like, you know, even with guitar playing, like, you know, sometimes just the positioning of the microphone can cause the, you know, a totally different sound. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, if we've gotten great recordings, it's up to your engineer to match those two things together. Mm-hmm. And and EQ is the way to get that done. Um, and to be honest with you, outside of you and I, most people don't hear a difference whatsoever, but you know, like we, we don't know that, you know, we don't think that way, but outside of us, nobody really hears it. You know, they're just enjoying music. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But what we're doing is we're skipping from verse one to verse two, verse one to verse two. That's not how they're listening to the song. They're recording or something. There you go. So they're, they're not paying any attention to how verse one and verse two necessarily match up. They're just enjoying the song. So, you know, they're listening totally different from us. And that's something we got to keep in mind also, because it does give us a break in situations like that. Well, this idea of, um, where am I going with this? The EQ, one of the biggest things I took from both you and Aaron was, you know, both of you, most engineers, it seems like start mixing the drums. And it's, you're sitting there, you know, kick drum, EQ and, finding the sonic space, carving out a sonic space for each instrument so that you don't have both the bass guitar and the kick drum at 80 hertz. You know, you have kick drum at 80 and the bass guitar at 100 so that you're not competing volume levels. You're com- you're, you can keep both instruments at a nice volume and they're both heard because they're EQ'd to a different frequency. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that's something that I think that is really fascinating. And um, Rick Beato actually did a great a great episode on that. I don't know if you've listened to him on YouTube, but he does like a whole 
intelligent lesson on how to, you know, some general EQ settings and how to think about it. Okay. Aaron turned me on to that. Yeah. And um, you, I'm going to tell you, there's another piece that you use to that panning. Okay. Panning. Panning. I mean, you know, and, and it's almost like the forgotten weapon sometimes, you know, like, um, but you can always use your panning to separate and give yourself a little bit of space. And that's something that I had to learn. Because, you know, I, I generally was from the school of, OK, you know, my bottom frequencies are usually be in the middle and, you know, kind of build it on out. But um, sometimes, you know, things being a little bit off kilter actually makes them sound better. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the panning and, and, you know, like we talked about the EQ, of course. But, you know, a lot of times the panning can provide you a separation between two things that are extremely similar. Um, that you may need. It may be where you, and it might not be a lot, you know, on, on zero to 100, zero to 100, if we say, you know, hey, push that bass over just to negative five, just a little bit off to the right, yeah. and then push that yeah. kick maybe over to two. And mm -hmm. we're not talking about a lot. We're talking about seven <laughs> degrees out of 200. Yep. Okay. Yeah. But it just provides you the separation you need to be able to get the sound to come through the way you want to hear it. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, panning is something, you know, you're always learning. Um, and, you know, the first thing I learned was panning, but the first thing that I revisited when I'm relearning what I'm doing is panning because, I, you know, you kind of forget that, you know, panning is there to be used for just what you just said, to open up your mix a little bit and give everything some space. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on what you're looking for within the mix. Um, every mix is different. Every genre is different. Um, Joe, you were talking about bass and kick. Mm -hmm. I mean, kick is something that usually is going to stay the same frequency throughout the entire song. Mm -hmm. So you yeah. want to kind of notch that out. Let's just say it is 78 Hertz or something like that. And then you go over to the base and you, you know, you notch that out. So they don't occupy the same um, frequency. That's one thing because the base is a moving instrument. Obviously it goes all right. over the place. It's not going to mm -hmm. just sit in one frequency, whereas the kick is. And then the other thing that you can do, if you want to get a little more separation out of the base and the kick um, is a little bit of side chaining. So every time that the kick hits, um, you can duck it out. So the bass kind of rides over top of it or vice versa, depending on what kind of song you're kind of looking for. Um, there's many different ways you can kind of go about making something stick out a little bit more. Um, and again, it, it all depends on the mix and what you want your central focus to be on. Yeah. Um, go, go back to this idea of side chaining. You're actually... Okay. So you're saying when the kick drum hits mm -hmm. and there Correct. happens to be a bass note at the same frequency at the same time, Correct. the computer automatically pulls the level, the volume level of the kick drum down. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. And I'm I'm still learning that one myself, Joe. Like, you know, like I said, it's a constant, you know, you're constantly learning. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I I had a project that I was working on that's um, you know, a little bit of pop music. And it had, you know, right now, a lot of the pop songs had those deep, deep, you know, hip hop basses, you know, the, mm -hmm. the deep sub bass, I should say. And of course, the sub bass was registering right where the kick is. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, like um, it sounded great to them, but, you know, I would always hear it and I would just, oh, man, like, you know, it was just this one note all the way through, you know, every four measures, there was just this one note that just was just registering right where the bass was. Um, and I was like, you guys don't hear that? They're like, no, it sounds great. I'm like, oh, and it, and it just, and it almost disgusts you, you know, because it's like everything is perfect except for that one note, yeah. side chain. That's how you fix that. Yeah. Yeah.
yeah and then and then i mean there's just there's i mean i could go on and on and on for hours and hours and hours oh yeah that's what uh, we're here for yeah but uh another thing that i would want to tell potential engineers out there and potential producers who are looking into this um Something that comes up over and over and over, because I do cl weekly classes with a, a couple of my students on recording, um, is, is that we like things loud. We like things loud. I hear it all the time down going down the road. Somebody's, you know, got their stereo up booming. And it's just like, you know, I, I did that too at one time in my life. I had, a, I had a pair of 12s in the back and, you know... I, I love to feel that bass. I loved it. Yeah. Love feeling that. There's nothing like it. It's great. But there's a downside to that. Um, there's something called the Fletcher Munson curve. Mm. Um, and we as engineers have to be aware of that. It's cool when you have the client in the room. Um, you're like, yeah, you turn it up and, they, and you want the client to feel it. You want them to be a part of the music. You want them to be moved by their own sound absolutely mm -hmm. but when the doors are closed and you know it's after hours uh it is extremely important that you as an engineer and you as a producer are mixing around 80 db around yeah, that area give or take um a couple of db um because what naturally happens with frequencies is is that when you start turning things up bass and treble, lows and highs, naturally go up, and your mids stay the same. Mm. You lose definition, um, and you actually start mixing differently. It's part of our ears. It's, it's this thing that happens where mid frequencies just kind of don't turn up the way lows and highs do. Um, same thing when you turn things down, the opposite happens. Your lows and your treble, your treble, your highs, they turn down and your highs stay. So you can actually hear things that are um, mid-rangey a little bit easier the lower you turn your volume. Uh, so there's this kind of thing that happens. You have to be very aware of that. Um, yeah. We engineers have to be aware of that, that when we are mixing, that we don't mix loud for long periods of time. Plus, you can also start to, your ears will actually start to um, not close, but they will actually, you will, you will mix completely different if you start mixing at like 100 dB or yes. dB all the time. It's extremely important that you walk away, you know, mix for a good 20 minutes uh, and walk away and come back. Most oftentimes, you will hear something completely different. You have to take breaks for your ears. It's yeah. Important. I mean, the, for engineers, these <laughs> are your instruments. Yep. You have to take care of them all the time, no matter where you are. Um, Earplugs, you know, protect them. And then also in the studio, just make sure you're taking frequent breaks that, that you are very aware that sound changes within an environment and depending on where you're sitting maybe take you know move back move forward mm -hmm. stand up sit down all kinds of directions because sound is different and then once you're done with that mix take it out to your car throw it in your cd player listen to one on a pair of you know airpods whatever it is try to listen to that mix in as many different ways as possible because that mix needs to translate to as many different mediums as possible absolutely 
Absolutely. And and just to, you know, to touch on what you just said, mm. you know, there's times when I've been working with an artist in the studio and, you know, they may sit back in the corner while I'm working. While I'm mixing. <laughs> and when they're sitting back in that corner, they're like, oh, man, it sounds a little bass heavy. And I'm like, the bass is stuck yeah, right. in the corner. <laughs> OK, come listen to where I'm sitting and then tell me what you hear. Oh, that sounds great. Exactly. Yeah. Depending yeah. on exactly what you said, depending on where you're sitting in that room, you're going to get a completely different mix. And as an engineer, it's good for you to walk around and kind of hear that mix. Mm. And just to touch on one other thing you said that's that's brilliant. Um, you know, I, I used to be looking to, of course, you know, try to work in a efficient manner so that, you know, people aren't spending, you know, their <laughs> last dollar while you're trying to mix, you know. But sometimes you can be doing people a disservice by not taking the breaks that you need and giving mm -hmm. your ears the rest that you need. And I had a guy put it to me like this. He said, you know, take a five pound weight and you can, you sit there and lift it, do curls with that five pound weight. Your arm is so strong in the beginning, but after an hour, that five pound weight feels like 500 pounds. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens to your ears. Yeah. If, you're, if you just sit there and you're just jamming music in your, into your ears, after a while they get tired, they get fatigued like any other muscle. And next thing you know, you're not hearing anything in your, in your mix. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, that's where we're gonna end it for episode 21. When Tynes came on, we had a great conversation that actually ended up going over so what we're going to do is we're going to split this into two parts. Um, as always, thank you for joining us. Uh, questions, concerns, comments, fretbuzzthepodcast.com. Thanks again for listening, guys. Have a good one.